Hey guys, in this episode, I'm chatting with my good friend, Lindsay Harl. So if you want to learn how she overcame her eating disorder, learn about the power of listening and why discomfort is a valid place to be, you're definitely not going to want to miss out on this episode. And if you stick around to the end, I have a freebie gift for you. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, what's going on? Thank you so much for joining me today. I am really, really excited that you're here. And I just want to let you all know that I really appreciate your support because if it wasn't for you guys, I would have no followers and I'd be just talking into a microphone to nobody. So I just wanted to let you know how much it means that you guys tune into the show. And if you know anybody who's struggling or maybe somebody in recovery that wants to enhance their recovery, maybe they're an aspiring entrepreneur or they really want to discover their purpose, make sure you share out the show, let them know about it. And of course, if you have some time, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review because that can also help get the show out to more people so we can spread a message of hope and just let people know that they are capable of so much more than they think. I am super pumped for today's episode, but before we get into it, I just wanted to let you know that my good friend Katie Hutzel and I have decided to start the Rise in Recovery Network for Entrepreneurs Facebook community, and our mission is to help entrepreneurs in recovery master their mind so that they can grow their business and lead authentically fulfilled lives through community connection and collaboration. We're going to be hosting a monthly mastermind. And this will really allow the group to get in on some free training. We're going to utilize the skills of the group members as well to do some of the, the, the training because everybody has unique abilities and everybody has something they can share that will help the rest of the network members. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to be getting special guests in there. There's also going to be a chance for you to promote what you're doing and, you know, get people to test your program or give you feedback on a website or maybe you've started a new Facebook group yourself. So we're going to have all that kind of stuff in there. So lots of free training in the group. There's going to be meditation sessions and tapping sessions and so much more because that is Katie Hutzel's forte. She is amazing at it. And her and I just really want to focus on helping entrepreneurs really master their mind because one of the biggest things that I continue to hear when I ask entrepreneurs what their biggest pain point is, it's that imposter syndrome. It's getting more confident about what they're doing. And of course, I think because we're so passionate about mental health and helping others, because most of us are in that service-related industry, when we can learn to master our mind, 
We can achieve anything. And one of the areas that I've really been studying and training in lately has been the science of beliefs and mindset and emotional intelligence. So I want to make sure I can do some training sessions on that stuff because not only has it allowed me to question my own beliefs, but now I can help others, you know, with tools that can help them challenge their own beliefs, right? And start thinking in new and different ways and really getting um, to the heart of why you feel the emotions you do and, and what a better tactic to respond to them. So we've got all this stuff coming in the community. So make sure you join us. I'll put a link in the show notes and I hope to see you there. I am so excited to bring you today's episode. We are chatting with my amazing friend, Lindsay Harrell. Lindsay is quirky, she's funny, she's enthusiastic. I just love chatting with her and I love how she calls herself quirky. If you if you asked her, you know, what's one of the words used to describe yourself, that is probably one of the words she would use. And I love how she stands in, in her authenticity. And we talk about that in the show, right? Not hiding who you are, instead being proud of it. And I think we can all learn so much from that. So today she talks about how she overcame her eating disorder and why she's so passionate about what she does today, how that recovery looks for her. We also talk about her passion about mental health and the industry itself. And guess what? There's even a little poop talk in there. Yes, I said that, poop talk. How poop can correlate with depression. So you're not gonna wanna miss this. She also has a book on it, so I'll make sure to post the link. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know you will. Lindsay is so amazing. I'll see you after the show. Welcome back, everybody. This is going to be an amazing interview today. It's not even an interview. It's going to be a chat with my good friend, Lindsay Harl Cadets. And I, I nailed it. Yeah, you um, did. <laughs> Lindsay's a good friend of mine. And like I said, this is going to be more a conversation. I think there's going to be some like poop talk, anxiety talk, um, addiction talk, recovery talk. I think this is going to be like an all sort of kind of cool mash of goodness. What do you think? Yes, I agree. <laughs> we might even talk about Q-tips in here. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so Lindsay, why don't we start off by, you know, my audience getting to know you. Who are you? What do you do? And then we're going to go back, back in time to when you yeah. were a purple baby. A purple baby. All righty. Uh, well, first off, thank you so gosh darn much for having me here today. I'm super excited. Um, so yeah, so as you said, I'm Lindsay. And I what I do today is I love helping people dig into their values and then having them activate them within their life. I do this in two areas, um, working with family businesses who are in transition of that ownership piece, and they just really want to be able to maintain who they are and the legacy they've built within their brand offline uh, and keep that online as their business continues to move into the next generation. And then I also work with these wonderful little quirky souls, quirky creatives, entrepreneurs, uh, innovators, leaders, just wonderful little hearts, um, little hearts, big hearts, um, so that they can really understand why who they are is their superpower and how they can then bring that forth in their own business, in their own life, in their own world, and what actions actually matter, um, and do a lot of the mindset behavior work so that they can become their full selves. 
And I do that with a wee bit of humor, clearly. And um, on top of that, because I guess that's just where I'm going. I am a avid um, speaker on mental health. I'm a mental health advocate. And I speak on how in the world do you run a business when you live with depression and anxiety and um, keep, keep building it and keep growing it and be able to make those commitments that you've committed to. So that's me in a nutshell. That's a great intro. And I think that's one of the reasons, well, we've connected for many reasons, but the fact that you are so big into mental health and we have so much in common and we're kind of, you know, it's that superpower theme again, right? Because for me, it's helping people in recovery who have overcome any type of addiction realize that their current reality can actually be their superpower, right? It doesn't, life doesn't get boring after you decide to give up something that had such a hold on you in the past. So mm -hmm. speaking of the past, why don't we go back into the past? I always, I always share my story, you know, talking about that, you know, my upbringing for one, because I think that a lot of people think that because we fall into these mental health issues, we suffer from addiction, that we have to have this horrendous upbringing. And, you know, you and I both know that is true mm -hmm. with a lot of cases, but for me, it wasn't. And so you suffered from addiction as well in a different form than drugs and alcohol. So what was life like growing up for you and how did it lead up to your addiction? I love this question um, because, and I wanna say very clearly, I grew up in a very loving household uh, with parents who supported me, uh, believed in me, taught me to stand on my own two feet, taught me to be very independent. Um, and so, it, you know, I, I personally didn't suffer from any abuse as a child. I had a really good upbringing. You know, that said, I am quirky and I can remember being told that I was wrong, being told that there was things about me and not by my parents, but by the children around me. Um, and even, you know, friends, friends, they had a group when I was nine called the WHLH club and it was the We Hate Lindsay Harrell club. And I desperately wanted to be part of this club, even though it was all about hating me. And so over time, what this eventually led to was my own addiction um, of purging. And I ended up um, basically when I was 17, I started restricting food in university. It became very much don't eat a lot. And then as I was graduating university, I could no longer take how hungry I was. So I would start to eat a little and then, and then I would puke. I would purposely go and purge because, oh my goodness, I have to, I have to get out what I just ate. What I know to be true now is it was never really about the food. It was never about weight. Although that was what I believed because of the partners I had chosen at the time would say things they had no problem dating, uh, pardon me, breaking up with someone who was fat, you know, telling me what was wrong with my naked body, um, telling me how to improve my naked body all of these things and my own quirkiness I thought was wrong and all I ever wanted to do was fit in. I didn't know that fitting in and belonging were two different things and all I wanted was to fit in and be seen as someone, not this weird quirky gal who was different 
who was quiet, who, you know, you know, I, I can vividly remembering when I was three that I was too bright. And so I needed to dim my light. And so that just led and led and led. And then, you know, when I was 22, I was finally like, I can no longer figure out how to keep my quirk in check. So I'll eat and then I'll throw up. And it became this interesting time of every time I needed to, I wanted my quirk to come out. I tried to shut her up by throwing up. And it eventually led to a 10 years of purging, not binging and purging. I was primarily a, a purger, which is a, is a different form of an eating disorder than binge and purge than bulimia. Um, and I, you know, I would look at things like an apple and just be like, I'm going to eat this, but then it's going to come right up. And that's how I lived my life for 10 years of, you know, trying to get rid of all the quirk every time that I felt that someone would see this weirdness, this quirkiness, this oddness, and it wouldn't be accepted. I have to get rid of it. And so that's when I would go to the toilet and throw up and try and just get rid of whatever it was that made me, me out because I wanted to fit in. And I, I couldn't fit in because, you know, as I now am learning to grow into is I am this quirky person and reflecting back, it was the times when I would let who I am actually shine that people really liked me the most. And so it's this, it's this funny thing because we don't realize that at the time in the moment we're like, I just want to fit in. I want to fit in. I want to fit in. I want to be this beautiful body. I want to be this beautiful person. And I'm not that. So how do I get that? And for me, it took on the form of just getting rid of everything so that I could have this perfect body, which I never did. I mean, in my head, but yeah. And then it just came to this head, um, you know, where I was working in a corporate office, very corporate environment. And I had, um, it, let me back up a little bit. So in 2011, you know, there was a span of nine months where the older generation of my family ended up passing away. Yeah, all, all the, all the women, so my granny, my grandmother, my great aunt, you know, 92, 95, 96, specifically my granny and I, we shared the same birthday. And so I thought that that was the one thing in my family, in my life that made me actually special is that I shared this birthday with this bright light because she was this teeny little woman and her giggle and her heart could just transform an entire soul. And then my grandmother, I remember when I would call her, it was just, you never hear the joy of somebody of, of somebody answering the phone and realizing it's their grandchild. Oh, you've called me, you remember me, you love me. And I knew I would never get that to hear that kind of acceptance again. And so there was this period where I just went down into grief and I didn't know how to grieve. And so I fell very deeply into my old habits of puking and purging and just absolute self-hatred. And it started to go down this path of eventually looking to self-harm. 
And at the time I was running away from my grief by training for a half marathon and I'd get these blisters on my feet and then I would take this pin and I would pop the blisters. And I remember looking at the pin being and starting to poke it in my hand. And I would think I can do more. And that thought scared me. And then very blessedly, I was, um, I used to take singing lessons and I went to my singing teacher and she could see I wasn't okay. And she's like, Lindsay, do you just need to talk? And so for an hour, I just told her everything uh, that I was doing, all the self-hatred, all the actions and the harm I was doing towards myself. And she just sat and she listened without judgment and at the very end of it, she just said, Lindsay, all I hear is self-hate. Why do you hate yourself so much? And that question took me back into my logical side of my brain. And I knew I could not answer her without her being able to refute every single point. And so I just said, I don't, I don't know. And while I didn't immediately go and get help the next day, uh, and I still went a little bit further and fell a little bit harder and a little bit harder it was about two months later when I ended up having a, a breakdown in the middle of Bankers Hall here in Calgary, which is this like the epitome of corporate where and I was this 20 something year old gal sitting on a bench bawling my eyes out, having like this huge anxiety attack. And I remember looking up and seeing the security guards looking down at me with fear in their eyes, such fear. And I laugh about it now because it's absolutely absurd that this, I was a waif at the time, you know, this waif of a woman is crying and there's these two beefy men fearful to come and see if she's okay. You know, unfortunately, I was able to call my friend and say, I can't get home. And she just talked, talked with me so I could walk my way home. And she encouraged me to reach out to my boss. I did that night. My boss picked up the phone and called me right away and said, come, are you able to drive? Let's talk. And so I went and I talked at my boss's house and she said, she can listen. And she said, you are not coming in tomorrow. You are going to go to the doctor. And you know, and she, she's like, you're not coming into, but if you're not coming in, you're going to go to the doctor and we're going to get you help. And that was the start of my actual getting help. Um, because I had, you know, I was so fearful of actually sharing because when I had previously shared to individuals, you know, particularly I was in an emotionally abusive relationship and I had shared what this individual had said to me about my naked body and the friend at the time looked at me and just said, you know, I think you really just like the drama. And no, I didn't. But by her saying that I thought, well, maybe I do. And so I stayed in this abusive relationship longer than I should have hearing things about my body that I didn't weren't true. And it so I was very timid in telling people but it was really that start of my music teacher listening without then responding of with judgment, like a previous individual had my friend walking me home on the phone through this anxiety and my leader being like you. And, and again, you know, it's very true. You're no good to us here. <laughs> like you're no good to us here if you're not okay. And so you need to go and get help. 
And thank goodness that she did that. And, you know, I was with this company and I did not go back. But because I was with them, I was able to go to my doctor. My doctor then right away knew because of, you know, the sleeping disorders that I was having, I wasn't sleeping. She could consistently see my weight falling for my, for my body. And she asked if I was doing anything eating wise, like, well, what's that like? And I broke down and then she got me on the wait list for the eating disorder clinic here, um, which was to be a six month wait. And I was bumped up and moved in within two and through all that work, you know, um, I was able to stop that 10 year habit of trying to purge out my quirk and really address, well, why am I purging? And so, you know, we're coming into my 10 year of no purging now, which I am, you know, really pride of, pride of, proud of, <laughs> you know, like it, I, I find it hard to say that I'm really proud of a lot of things, but this is one that I'm proud of because it has been hard to not return to that habit, but rather than returning to it, when I think, oh, it would just be so easy to purge, it's an indicator that I then need to stop and question, whoa, what is going on? Where are you misaligned? What's going on in your values? What's going on in your life? Where are you not doing you? And is that okay? So how can you show up better and take healthier habits to get better because purging the quirk out didn't work for 10 years. What makes me think that it's now going to continue? Yeah. And now we're here today. <laughs> uh, and, oh, thank you for sharing your story because it's absolutely incredible. And there's so many things I'm sitting here taking notes that I could really relate to. And I think that's the incredible part of you know, being in a recovered state, right? Or working on your recovery, because it's something like you said, it, it creeps up and you have these thoughts here and there. And it's like, well, okay, now I've got to do something about it. But, you know, for me and alcohol, it was the fitting in, I felt awkward, I didn't feel pretty enough, right? I felt, you know, I remember some boys teased me, they're like, you have a big bum. And I was like, you know, and now today, it's like, you know, men like curvy women, like, why am I, you know, but I, I let it just perpetuate in my life. And alcohol was the one thing that gave me that release, right? It's like, I don't have to think about it now, right? And I really stopped growing at the age of 14 when I started drinking, because that became my solution to everything, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I, I loved what you said about like people, right? We try to fit in so badly with I think especially when you're younger because you're just like well these people seem really cool I want to fit in with them and they're not the right people and so like imagine the world today if you looked at people and go okay you know what I nah they're not really but those people like I admire those people they're just like me I respect those people I want to be more like that what that would do for someone because like, I think you're amazing, but I mean, we're friends. So obviously, I'm going to say that. <laughs> but like, you know, you it's, it's attracting the right people into your life that allow you to shine in that light, right? So you don't have to dim it anymore. And that's what I feel like sobriety has become my superpower. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, this is who I am. 
and I'm okay with it. And I've started attracting the right people into my life, especially now. Mm -hmm. Well, and what I love that you said there is, is because at the end of the day, it's not about fitting in. It's about finding those souls that you belong with who will help lift you and see you in those moments as being a human. And I know, you know, I, I don't regret my past because I think I'm a more uh, understanding, compassionate person because of it now. Um, but I, I, I wish we don't have to go through that to be able to support people and, and especially young people in understanding fitting in isn't it, belonging is it belonging as yourself, as who you are, as your perfectly imperfect soul, you are it, you matter, regardless of what you look like, regardless of what you sound like, regardless of how you smell, regard, right? I don't know why I said smell, probably because I've got poop on the brain, but <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I, and so I, I and, and when you can really and I remember being told by an individual that one of her friends didn't like me because I was too nice I smiled too much I wasn't too much of a gossipy biatch right and that took me back because it's like well why what happened in her life that made her question somebody whether or not they're nice mm -hmm. now, nice and kind are two different things so it could have been a nice to the right but that's a different story that's not mine but I just remember being told that and because of that I went down a journey of not being nice mm -hmm. and it never felt right it never felt right and so when I understood that I was able to say, I'm no longer in doing that. That is not me. I'm actually, a, I like being a kind, nice, warm, open person to let people be exactly who they are. And so I'm not going to change that. And if the conversation goes to an area where it doesn't allow me to do that, then I need to respectfully remove myself at that point. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think back to, you know, wanting to be cool and becoming essentially a bully, right? And that's not me. Like, yeah, I've got a huge heart, but I was it was almost like I kind of flipped that around. Like, I don't want to be made fun of anymore. I don't want to be teased. So I'm going to be the person that does that. And even today, like, because I can have a very sarcastic sense of humor, but I don't always understand that maybe that doesn't sit well with some people, right? Like not everybody takes that kind of humor and I've definitely toned it down. But if I'm hopped up on sugar, I realize that sugar is definitely my trigger. Mm -hmm. I tend to go into that again where I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, because it's almost a high for me, right? Mm -hmm. And, but I notice it right away and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm starting to poke fun again. Like I gotta stop that because it's easy to revert back to that when you're in a situation where you're a little bit out of control. Mm -hmm. So reeling that in again. So what was kind of your early recovery like? Like, have you, has it, it's been 10 years solid for you? Because I haven't had relapse because I've done a lot of work on myself. 
Um, but what was that like? Like, was it was it difficult for you? Or was it something that, you know, kind of just progressively got better? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes to it all. Um, no, it was hard. I mean, I I can remember, and, and I've shared this with you, but I think it is a powerful moment of, I can remember, so August 22nd will be my 10 year anniversary of the last time I purged. And I can remember exactly what I ate, exactly what I did, and then going to that toilet and puking it all out. And then all of a sudden just being, saying and feeling, I'm worth more than this. And so, so, you know, yes, I had this, um, leading up to that moment, there was this 10 year journey. And within those 10 years, there would be a year here where I wouldn't purge. And I'd be like, that's a good year. No, but then something would happen because I hadn't actually understood how to sit with my discomfort, how to sit with the hard emotion, how to, how to, how to be a fully engaged human. And I would then purge and the cycle would start again. But when I actually started getting help and be, it was being able to go inward to understand my values at that point. Um, and they have, they've, they've changed since then as well. Not my core core one, but my core values have because life ex experience change you. Um, but, you know, I was able to understand what my values were at that time what how the environments I was in at the point didn't allow me to fully show up and why I was worth more and you know it's okay to have really bad feelings it that's okay and doesn't make you less than and doesn't make you a drama queen it just means that you have something in you that has not been resolved and then all of a sudden this moment of clarity of I'm worth more and I no longer want to do this and feel this shame anymore of sitting over a toilet trying to get everything out. It was just this, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And it's been hard. I mean, it hasn't been 10 years of, yay, now I'm recovered <laughs> and I eat whatever I want and I don't view food as a trigger sometime. And, and I can also remember, you know, so my, my husband and I now, we actually met four months after that moment. And then when we started dating, um, I was going further into the eating disorder clinic. And so for that first month that we were together, what do you do when you are first dating somebody? Well, you go on dates to eat. And so I had to get very honest with him very quickly because it's because I might be awkward around food because I wasn't fully recovered. I was just at the beginning of my journey in recovery. And, you know, I think having him, you know, he did not believe in depression at the time. He does now, because um, he understands it better, but I, I had to be honest. And so it's been, it's been difficult. It's been difficult um, having a changing body. Um, still pretty fantastic um but loving it for what it was and even changing my whole mindset around well what are dimples on my thighs those are just smile marks as opposed mm -hmm. to that cellular like so I've had to really do a lot of brain work 
And um, even, um, so I also do take antidepressants for depression. And for about five years of that, all I wanted to do was get off them because when I would be off of them, I'd be better. I'd be fully fixed. And that did not go very well <laughs> at one point when I was trying to get off them and I was starting to go a little uh, I, not okay. And my, like my husband hadn't seen me at that point before. Yeah, he wasn't going to say anything. And and all of a sudden, I just remember on my Facebook feed, a friend of mine from junior high posted something like, I'm so excited when my alarm goes off every day to remind me to take my antidepressants. They are my happy pills. And I stopped dead. And I read that and I reread it and I reread it because I also had an alarm on my phone that said, take your, take your meds, take your meds, take your meds. And all of a sudden I was reading this statement of someone I know whom I adore was looking at her meds as happiness. It was a tool to help her be a happily productive individual. And at that point I was like, well, maybe I don't need to get off of them. You know, maybe I will one day, but maybe I don't need to. And I changed the message in my alarm to take your, take your brain fuel. Mm. And so it became this thing of, transforming the thought of having to be fixed to having to do things to become and perform as my more optimal self. And that helped. And so even when the trigger or the, oh, I need to purge comes up, it's no, that's not serving your optimal self anymore. So what is it that you then need to address? And is it a discomfortable feeling, a discomfortable feeling? <laughs> That's, that's a word. word. Yeah, it sure. is. Yeah. That's is it word. is yeah. That's it's one for today. Is it sitting in that uncomfortable place and being okay with it and working through it? And you know, with um with there's a there's a doctor, Dr. Susan David out there who speaks on emotional agility and she does all this research around it. And when I heard her say, you know, emotions are data, not directives. It's like my whole world changed. And this was just in, in 2020 alone during, during the pandemic when the world was closed because I could feel these really ugly feelings coming up again. And I didn't want to, and I finally was ready to be able to fully sit with all emotion. And when I understood that, oh, I, that's an emotion. I don't need to take action on it though. I can just get curious about it and then say, why is this happening? huh okay well that's interesting and then you can love that emotion you can release that emotion and there's so much more power and ownership in that because emotions are there and they're all valid and they're there sometimes for a reason sometimes they're not there for a reason sometimes it's not even your feeling you know if you're an empath and you believe in being an empath sometimes it's somebody else's emotion and so by really taking that, doing that work of stopping and being like, what is that? And even with the purging, is this hate mine? Or is that somebody else's towards me? Because if it's not mine, why in the world am I destroying my body for somebody else? That's not love. That's not caring. And yeah, so... 
And yeah, I mean, on, like, honestly, the pandemic has been an interesting time because it would be so easy to fall back in those habits. Um, but that doesn't serve anyone. That doesn't serve myself. Most importantly, it doesn't serve myself. Um, and the higher version of who I'm trying to work to become, and it doesn't serve my husband, doesn't serve my dogs, and doesn't serve my friends, my colleagues, my family. And so when I can show up as my most optimal self, or at the very least take the steps that I need to do to try and be my most optimal self, then you give others the permission to do that. And when you give others the permission to do that because they're seeing that you're doing that, it's it's one of the most powerful things that you ever see that you'll that you may never know you'll be impacting someone with i love that and i love that you said the part about emotion is uh is data because i teach people that you have to think before you go to your emotion because your emotions will cause you to react sometimes and not mm -hmm. respond constructively so if we always make decisions based on emotion Mm -hmm. typically we will make the wrong decision, right? Depending on what that emotion is. And so I've actually learned to, because I'm an empath, right? I take on people's energy and I just, you know, I have a big heart, I can't help it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I can't react though on those emotions. I have to think about it, I have to step back, I have to sleep on it and go, okay, what is really bothering me? What is it, the, the, the root of this? And I remember in my first year of recovery, I cried more than I probably have ever cried in my whole life combined before that because from the age of 14 to 36 I never allowed myself to feel emotions especially not like grief or sadness I felt a lot of anger I felt a lot of resentment there was a lot of blame there but I never felt those softer emotions where it's like okay and it just all came out right mm -hmm. but today like I do I I allow myself to sit in it I talk about it like being vulnerable I think is such a gift in the space that you and I are both in and I've learned how to be more vulnerable at my story like I'm not ashamed anymore that I lived with what I did because life was training me to become who I am right now and I've also been medicated for depression I'm not anymore and that's okay but there's days where I certainly slip back into that where I'm like uh-oh but I know I don't have to be ashamed about that. So I love how you touched on all that stuff because I'm like, ooh, again, taking notes. But let's talk, you know, I know people can't see us right now, but you have a book. I just purchased a couple copies yesterday because I was so excited. But, you know, and this is where the, the really like... <laughs> This is where things go real fun. But your book <laughs> down is... the drain. <laughs> I know. Literally <laughs> down here is where the poop talk happens. And Lindsay's got an amazing mug, by the way, that she's drinking out of that I just want one. Um, but let's talk about your book because I think so many people who have overcome addictions all like really it seems to be a common thing that we all seem to suffer from depression and anxiety. So your book is called depression constipation how pooping saved my sanity and other stories and i can't wait to read it but can you talk about it because i know people personally who do have this issue mm -hmm. well so it's it's funny because when i wrote this book i didn't write it knowing 
the connection between the gut and the brain. I didn't. I just thought this is a cheeky analogy. This is a way, you know, more people uh, understand what it's like to be constipated than it is to be depressed. And so part of the reason I wrote this was to help my husband, then part boyfriend, um, understand what depression is because it is not being sad. That's a portion of it. But my specific form of depression um, is very physical in that I get tinnitus, I have a horrid stutter when it kicks in and I like, and so there's that cotton head, that fog that goes on in your head and how the how it came about. And one of the very first sentences of the book is, you know, the other day I had the best poop of my life. <laughs> and um, <laughs> this is kind of crass, actually, it's very crass. And so I'm very lucky in that when I started uh, to get help, um, there was two individuals who I had known through the theater world as um, I would do community theater and we would just start talking. And when I started to share my story with one of them, she later told me that she was able to go and get help because if smiling Lindsay has depression and can talk about it and can get help, why couldn't she? And so that to me is one of the it's one of the reasons I talk is because of we literally never know. I had no clue that she was going through anything. But in this, I remember um, one day I was struggling with a poop. I was on that toilet and I was grunting and I was just like, I just need to get this out. And then I pooped. And then you just sit back in that relaxed place of, whew, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and your whole body is just in this joyous place of release. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, oh my goodness, if we can bottle this feeling, we can cure depression. And so I, I messaged my friend that I, I, I flushed the toilet, I washed my hands, I then went over and I messaged my friend, oh my goodness, here's what's happening. I just had a great poop after being constipated. And now if we just need to figure out how to bottle this, <laughs> right? I still haven't figured it out. And from that though, I was able to start understanding, um, bless you, my dog is sneezing. So bless you, Chase. Um, I was able to understand, you know what? There are huge parallels being depressed and being constipated. So, you know, when you have this cotton head, you can't get a thought through your brain. Well, when you're constipated, you can't get that same flow, mm -hmm. right? You know, and um, you get little toots, toot, 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 toot. <laughs> and then your brain gets little hiccups, hiccup, hiccup, hiccup. Or the stutter is, is I believe the comparison I use in the book is your, your butt is almost stuttering. Well, I ended up stuttering, right? You get a distended belly. You sometimes get distended reality. And so it was able to draw these parallels in a way that someone in my life could start to understand what I was going through and that he couldn't do anything about it other than hold my hand. Now I'm, he's not sitting with me on the toilet, holding my hand when I'm constipated. Let's make that clear. <laughs> but he now understands if I'm in a depressed cycle, I don't need him to do anything. 
because I know the behaviors that I need to do. I know the actions that I need to do. I know the journaling that I need to do. And I also know that I just need to sit. And if you can sit with me and hold my hand, then I'll be okay. And that's all you need to do because you can't fix anything that's going on in here. That's, that's all very personal. And it is a choice to start moving through the brain poop. And it's not easy. And it's not easy. It's a very hard thing to do. Um, but there's ways to do it. And for me, it's humor. And for me, it was really being very intentional with looking for humor in the day because that's where my core is. And that's what one of my counselors said at the time, way back when, was, Lindsay, you have this really unique way of looking at the world. Why don't you write them down in stories? And I created these humorous stories around the the mundane, the absurd, the funny, right? And that became the book eventually of this, here's the story, here's what, here's the comparisons, here's the stories that pulled me out of my own depression constipation. And here's what you can do. Now, I, I very much say this is not a medical book. This is not a professional medical book. If you need real help, go and get it. And I give some ways to go and do that. But this is a way to just help people understand a little bit more what depression is in verbiage that the world is way more comfortable talking about. I can't, I can't re wait to read it and give it away because I got a couple of copies. So yeah, it's fun. It's interesting how all of that has so much to do with each other, how they all run parallel. Um, you know, let's talk about your favorite topic. And I've heard you share about it on social media. It's something I definitely work on all the time. Um, and that's listening, mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, it's important to listen. I know a lot of people, you know, myself included before, it's it was very hard for me because I always wanted to show up like how I thought people wanted me to show up. And so I would be listening to someone and then halfway through, I would tune out and think, what am I going to respond, right? And I wasn't fully being present. I wasn't able to hear what they were saying. And so listening was not a very nap today. It's a, it's a lot different, right? I can sit there and I don't have to think about what I'm going to say after I just respond with my heart. But can you kind of go into that? Because I know you you share about it on social media. And I love when you share about it because it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Why am I starting all my answers with? Yeah. Um, Are you listening? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, listening. Okay. Plain and simple, listening saved my life. And I think that's come through very clear um, by having my uh, singing teacher listen, by having my leader listen. And I, I see the power that it has when someone holds space for you to listen without judgment, without the need to respond, without the need to give advice. But why am I so passionate about it now? Well, and I hope this is okay that I say this, but for listeners not in Canada, there is a company, there's Bell Media, who does this. Um, Basically, it's a social media campaign frenzy that they do one day a year called Bell Let's Talk. Now, I'm not slamming this because they are raising funds 
for mental health, and that is fantastic. However, the words they use are, let's talk to reduce the stigma around mental health. Well, if we are encouraging a nation to talk, if we are putting the onus on people with mental health hiccups to talk, how the hell are they gonna get better if we are not teaching people how to listen? Mm. And the thing is, we are, we're not taught how to listen growing up. We're taught to regurgitate facts. We're not really taught to think critically in school until you get to university. And so a lot of people struggle in university, myself as well at the beginning, because I didn't know how to think for myself. We're taught to find a problem, get a solution, find a problem, get a solution, find a problem, get a solution. We're never taught to sit in discomfort. We're never taught to just shut up and listen and not judge somebody else's reality and their experience. And what I have witnessed is, and, and this is not my story, but it's my husband's and I'm not going to go too much into that, is that he did not have anyone listen to him. He had people who just wanted to get back to happiness, to get out of the discomfort and for him to just get over this huge life-changing incident that completely transformed his identity and his whole entire understanding of himself. And so talking is not the answer. When we're read and talking on one day is not the answer. I didn't talk, you know, this, this, this campaign specifically has been going on for 11 years now here in Canada, and the message has remained the same, the same. And when you're putting the word stigma with mental health, you're creating harm because it's not mental health. Mental health is just health. It is as important as your physical health, if not more, because if your head is not healthy, your body won't be healthy. You cannot make the decisions and the choices to be healthy. So mental health is health, is just health, period. We need to stop separating that and by putting the word stigma with it you're creating people and driving people farther and farther and farther from it so we need to teach a nation to listen and and it's it's beyond mental health and that goes into you know the divides of this country when it comes to the systemic racism and all that super fun stuff that our country was built on i'm not going to go down that road though <laughs> But that is the, like, that's why we need to say, let's listen, not let's talk. Because when somebody is ready to talk, they don't need someone to talk back to them. They need someone to sit there and listen without judgment. And then just listen with kindness and hold space and just say, I hear you and thank you. And I believe you not, wow, that's a story wow you really like the drama don't you wow that why are you doing that you know because another colleague of mine shared you know one time she was drinking herself into oblivion and she shared with a friend and the friend judged the crap out of her and so for six more months she continued to drink herself down into a bottom and so it's it's had we been taught to listen properly 
people can then choose to heal sooner rather than sitting further in their shame and their darkness. And that is what I think the power of listening is. And it, it's, we need to teach people how to listen better because it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And when, and you know, when someone is heard and listened to effectively, that's when their journey to self-healing starts. And we as humans just need to understand that we can't heal anybody. We're, we can't be the solution for someone. It is all internally driven. And if that person wants to get better, they will. But if we inadvertently, inadvertently harm, because nobody sets out to do an answer that is going to harm somebody, <laughs> right? And I think that's the thing too, is that there's so much grace and compassion that has to be given both to this person talking and to the listener, mm-hmm. because listening can be very triggering. And so it's it's this delicate balance of being okay to listen, And if you are triggered, go and take care of yourself after. Go and do your self-love. Go and identify what was it about their story and their experience and their reality that triggered me. But don't put that on them because they just bravely opened up. Very hard thing to do. Oh, I, yeah. I And it brings me back to an early recovery, right? When someone's like, okay, what's going on? And they sat there and they listened to me and I shared my story as as shameful as it was at the time to me. They're like, I know what you're going through. I understand I've been there. And that was probably the single most powerful thing that somebody could have done for me was go, yeah, me too. You know, I understand. And I was like, are you for real? Like, I'm not the only one who feels like I'm going batshit crazy. Like, I seriously felt like I couldn't tell anybody And it was that pride in me, right? And I think that's why a lot of people today don't get help because like you said, there's a stigma, right? There's a, and I I want to like break this stigma of addiction because we're not bad people because we do these things to ourselves. It's a way that we learn to cope, Mm -hmm. right? It's what we've either seen other people do or it's something that we've started to experience in our own life for one reason or another. And it's just our coping mechanism, right? And I oh, I just love like because I like to talk about stigma, right? Because I'm not ashamed anymore. Like, so what that I did all this? I've cleaned up my past. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, made amends to myself as well. I'm in a good place. But today, like that power of just sharing your story or somebody doing that and you being like, yeah, I know. Like, I know. Tell me more. Right. I want to keep listening to you. Like that is so incredibly powerful. And powerful. Let me finish that. I was just so excited that it was just, I couldn't even finish the word, but (laughs) we have a lot of in common that way. Um, (laughs) Except you make big, awesome words. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, You talked about like discomfort, discomfort being valid, right? Can -hmm. you kind of elaborate a little bit about that? Because it is, I think a lot of people, they don't fully, um, maybe invest in an opportunity or move forward because 
you know, they're, they're not willing to investigate like, hey, what is this discomfort that I'm feeling? Is it just because I'm scared? Is it because of the wrong choice? You know, like they're scared to sit in that for a little <laughs> bit and move through it. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, oh my golly gosh, I just did it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you agree? Can you give me a yes or a no here? <laughs> I don't know. Let me see here. Uh, <laughs> a or um, B. So, so, okay. So there's two things actually. And, and one of them that I'm just learning now, and it goes back to, you know, our stories are unique to us, but they are not ours alone. And so I just want to make like, that is when I think one of the biggest lessons that we learn when we start to share is our stories are unique to us, but they are not ours alone. And they are echoed time and time and time and time again. Now, with regards to that discomfort is that, again, we're just not taught to sit in the discomfort, you know, buck up, uh, like, what is it? Suck it up, buttercup, you know, and you think, why, why do I need to suck it up? And it's, it's discomfort is a thing is, is indicating that you need to get curious about something. We have to stop being and believing that life is supposed to be comfortable all the time, because that is not reality. And anybody who says that they are comfortable all the time, well, then they're lying. They're not living life. But the thing is, we are not taught to be okay with being in that discomfort. We're taught, you know, to not feel our feelings as kids, you know, young boys are told to man up. And so, but, but what would happen if it's, Hey, what is actually going on? What's making you cry right now? Without that judging tone that I just had, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I wouldn't tell you right there. (laughs) Right. But it's, but it's, and, and even when we're sitting in that discomfort, when we are triggered by somebody telling the story, our comfort at that moment is not more important than that person's brave sharing. And that's why I say, make note of why you're being being made uncomfortable so that you can go and get curious about that later because it is telling you something very clear, but it's, it's, when we're asking people to talk, we shouldn't assume that it's going to be a comfortable talk. And being and and being in the entrepreneurial world, you're never comfortable. No, like goodness gracious me! I think that was probably the biggest misconception I had when I started my own business in 2011. That oh, it's going to be oh so easy because I like doing this. No, <laughs> no, it is uncomfortable every single day. Having awkward conversations, having to ask for money, have like these like but we're not taught that it's okay to ask for these things. And so if we're not taught that, then we're being taught that we need to be comfortable in all of our decisions going forward. But it's when you sit back and think the times that you make the biggest leaps going forward are the times that you're the most uncomfortable, the times that I chose not to purge and go inward and understand what is that about? That was uncomfortable. But I was then able to identify things. 
more clearly so that I could get better habits in my life and more self-love in my life and be more selfish, which is not a bad thing to be. Because when you're selfish in a way that serves you from a place of love, you're able to show up for other people. And they then also get to choose to be selfish from a place of love that serves them that then can go and serve others. And that's what makes us better as a community. Carry on. I know I saw you were going to say something. I'm just like blown away. Carry on. I don't know what I was going to say. I think I was in a moment. A trance. <laughs> a trance of, you know, what is that discomfort? Like, why, 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 why? Why do we have to always be comfortable? And and I think part of my own thing too is, you know, I very clearly in my own life, you know, both my parents had more, like my mom was a assistant deputy minister with the government. My dad was a management consultant um, and a partner with his companies that he worked in. And so I very much had this image of what life should be working in the corporate world. And I never once stopped to think, is that my life? And I just remember being in university being like, I can't wait to get out of university and wear my power suit and become this high-end executive. I don't know of what, but that I get, that's what life is supposed to be. And that suit was never mine to wear. And so, and, and I remember when I told my mom, I'm gonna start my own business, her biggest concern other than me was that I wouldn't have benefits, health benefits, hmm. right? But I do now. And it's, it's, it's just, and also, you know, I, I, I thought, and I, I knew from a young age, I didn't want kids, but for some reason that was always put on me not by my parents because they know the one babysitting job I had was definitely an indicator. I should not have kids. The child is still alive. As far as I know, it was alive when I left. Whew. Um, <laughs> um, but that's also like when people they're uncomfortable talking to me about that because they don't know what my future is with my husband is, well, if you're married and you're not having children, What's the point of your marriage? Well, is it not to be together with someone that you love and want to support your, and spend your life with? Mm -hmm. I mean, so there's a lot of uncomfortable things. There's a lot of things about me that make people uncomfortable because it's so different. I don't have a job. I run my own business that relies on me to show up. I don't have children, but I'm a damn good aunt. I'm a great puppy mom, which I am very aware is completely different from being a human mom. <laughs> like these are things I know, <laughs> right? But it makes it makes it uncomfortable for people because they don't know how to ask me questions. And even, you know, I was having a conversation with my parents and I had a, I'll be honest, like I had an immature moment where <laughs> over the summer where my sister was applying for a new role and she got it but but my parents were so engaged in helping her and having the conversation and how do you practice for the interview and all that and I was very tired and I remember just breaking down on this call and I was like not once in the nine years of my business have you shown this much you know curiosity and 
so very selfish, very legal Leo thing to say. But my mom's response was very eye-opening. She's like, Lindsay, we just don't know what to ask, right? Because it's a world that they weren't in. Mm -hmm. So it's uncomfortable. So the thing about discomfort is that it's an indication for us to get curious and play in that world of curiosity a little bit more because that's when life is fun. It's not boring, it's not the same. There's nothing wrong with having a same after same after same day if that's what you enjoy. But the reality is that's not the case for the majority of the world. So we should stop saying that comfort is the norm. Wow. Wow. Um, I just, yeah. Again, so much going through my head because I feel like, you know, you know, I've just embarked on this journey of entrepreneurship over the last year and then finally took the plunge. But I tell people, you know, learning how to be uncomfortable and actually embrace it. Like I've felt like seriously since I probably since I wrote the, the first book, because that was like, OK, I'm working full time. I'm starting my coaching business. I'm still taking classes like I'm doing all this stuff and it was really uncomfortable because I was like, I don't want to go back to the old me that would start something and wouldn't finish it. So there was always that little doubt in my mind that maybe you're taking on too much. Maybe you can't do this. But I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And because it was so purpose driven for me, because mm -hmm. it was sharing my story and everything aligned, I did it. Like there was no doubt. I always ask myself if I have a decision to make. Does this align with my purpose and my values? And if it's a yes, I make the decision. I invest in myself. But I feel like I've been like riding this wave of discomfort for so long now. And even, you know, we had a conversation kind of midway through my departing my, my corporate job. And there are some scary moments. There's some like, oh shit moments. And, but the discomfort now that I experience on a daily basis is almost a rush. It's almost this feeling of like, whoo, I know I have forward momentum because as soon as I start to feel like that boredom and that comfortable feeling again, you know what? I'm not pushing myself hard enough. So I use it now as a gauge. Like there's times when I certainly hit the really uncomfortable doing too much. Things may unravel if I don't let go of a couple things and I might have to reevaluate, but I use that as a gauge now to whether or not I'm still moving forward every single day. So I want to ask you the question that I love to ask everybody is, you know, do you find that because of everything that you've been through, that it helped you discover your purpose in life, your calling? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. And that is a firm yes. That's not a yeah, let me think of it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Everything I've been through definitely... Um, makes me go inward and it makes me understand you know what are my values because for a long time i was operating not on my values and even for a longer time i was operating on my parents values not bad values not my values and that's the thing is that we we basically reflect what we're taught a lot of the time because we just don't know any better that's not a bad thing but i very much believe now that my purpose here is to be able to bring light to the dark without making light of it. 
is to remove that fear of having these conversations around depression, around eating disorders, around suicide, around abuse, around these very hard things. But in that, it doesn't all have to drag everybody down because, you know, my humor is a gift. It's a gift. And if I can be a twinkling of light during someone's dark tunnel and just help them move forward one more day, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. And that's way more powerful than creating another you know, marketing event for me, for, for me, <laughs> my dog, your dog's like, that's right. He's like, yes, mom. It was, it was that, it was that mic drop moment at the end where your dog's like, yes. <laughs> and we get like that. So why don't we, as the dog clearly needs you, um, let us, I, I feel like we need to have a part two of our conversation because there's so many other things that I want to talk about, but I want to respect your time as well. How can people learn more about you, follow you on social media, you know, that kind of good stuff. Yeah. And buy your book, by the way. And yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so I am on Instagram and Facebook. Please be quiet, Chase. Please. <laughs> this Please is real life quiet. happening as it happens. I'm sure a piece of fluff is floating by the window and he's like, did you see this? Did you see this? Anyways. <laughs> oh, I love him. He taught me unconditional love after many couches and a kennel and a floor. Anyways, that's a whole other story. Um, but yes, so where can people find me? On Instagram and Facebook, I am quirky Lindsay Harrell. And um, I am on LinkedIn as Lindsay Harl Cadets. And you can buy my book on Amazon. Uh, again, that's Depression, Constipation, How Pooping Saved My Sanity, and Other Stories. And my website is simply quirkylindsayharl.com. Um, so if you, uh, if you uh, are wondering, you know, what's the best uh, adjective to describe me as? Well, I've been told it's quirky, and now I'm leaning into it. So just think quirky. Lindsay Harrell and uh, you'll find me and I'm going to put all the links in the show notes so people can definitely find you um but Lindsay thank you so much for sharing your story and your sense of humor and just for the person you are because I appreciate you so much and I appreciate that you took the time out of your Saturday to kind of hang out with me anytime and, and my audience of course a anytime I think I think the work you're doing is beautiful I love I, I, I love your, I, I love the fact that you are here to really show people that there is life beyond recovery. And yeah, I just, I'm here to support you and love you and just continue to see you rise, rise, rise. Yay. Well, thank, thank you, you, my friend. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I sure did. I can't wait to have Lindsay back on the show. And, you know, the three biggest takeaways that I learned from today's show is basically be who you are, right? Don't be ashamed of who you are. If you're quirky, if you're outgoing, if you love science, you know, be that person. Don't try and be somebody who you think maybe others want you to be. Because I know I made that mistake when I was younger and I fell into drugs and alcohol and then I never lived that authentic life, right? I had lost my identity. So I would say number one, be who you are and be proud of who you are. And then of course, you know, listening, right? Taking the time 
to do more listening. Find out what people are struggling with, how that you how you can help them, right? Instead of always getting ready to speak, just learn to listen. Find out more, investigate, get curious. And then of course, last but not least, that a life in recovery, right? Once you've overcome a type of addiction, any type of adversity or addiction, it is possible to use that and let that past fuel you to become who you were meant to be, right? It can be your superpower. And I heard it uh, last week in a, a group call that I had, and it's survival is our superpower, right? Resilience. And that seems to be my word for the week right now is resilience. So just think about that, right? Become resilient. And of course, I promised you a free gift. If you head on over to my website, which is www.theroadforward.ca slash beyond recovery, you can pick up a free copy of my book, Hope Elevated. And of course, if you want to buy the paperback version or the Kindle version, it is available on Amazon. Anyways, guys, I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.